up, Danny? How's it going, Tyler? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. Here for another episode of Fried Squirms. One where I guess we're going to be going through an autopsy. We are. Procedural. That's right. Autopsy of Jane Doe up on deck for today. Before that, we need to get high. Ooh, I like that. So, once again, because tomorrow's the untethering, I got tried and true. I just brought some J's at Jack H again. Nothing special, but we've been over this a couple times, so I don't have much extra to say other than it's going to get us nice and up. Hey, I'm all about that. And it's actually one of those strains I really do enjoy from your shop specifically, too. So you're right, tried and true. Can't go wrong with that. So for the same reasons, because the untethering's tomorrow, I did pick up a strain I haven't tried before. I have tried its parent strain, the Girl Mm. Scout cookies. Mm -hmm. And so this week I brought over the Forum cut cookies. So for those who are curious, it is a phenotype of the Girl Scout cookie strain, which the Girl Scout cookie strain is an Indica dominant hybrid, which is like a 60-40, so 60% Indica, 40% sativa. But this one happens to be more sativa dominant, so it's more like 75% sativa, oh, okay. 25% Indica. Uh, the thing I like about this one is it has those aromas of like the berry, it's earthy, a little piney, a little bit sweet. The flavors are sweet too on this one. It has a very mild high. It is definitely an uplifter, a little bit more creative, but it doesn't get you like zonked out or nothing like yeah. that or have you staring off into space. So this one's highly functional and it is an uplifting one too. So yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. I think I'm going to start in on that myself and we can move into the guts and bolts. Guts and bolts. All right, so we get in the guts and bolts, find out who and what went into the making of this movie. I'll start out by laying out a little bit spoiler-free on what this movie's going to be about, in case you're just curious and checking us out to know if you should watch it. Autopsy of Jane Doe. Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch perform an autopsy on a Jane Doe, and things keep getting weirder and weirder. It's about as simple as you can get, really. So with that being said, you had mentioned we like to talk about the cast and crew that people went into making this film. And this week, we're going to lead off with our directors, a gentleman we've actually talked about before because of our episode number 73. Was it really that long ago now? Yeah. Jesus. And the episode 73 was of Troll Hunter. It was one of those films, man, I really enjoyed a lot. I still do. such a good film. Troll Hunter is something special. It really is. It's Um, so hard to describe why exactly that movie works so, so well. But I don't know if I know anybody that's seen it and not thought it was incredible. That's a very good point. I can't say I've run across any of those. But, you know, I'm sure there's some out there. There's none that we've run across. So some other films that Mr. Overdahl is known for are the films Future Murder and more recently, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark and the film Mortal. On this, we have a couple of writers. We have Ian Goldberg and we have Richard Nang. And Ian is known for his works on Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles from 2008 through 2009. He also worked on Once Upon a Time, the television series back in 2011 through 2013. You might have seen his works on Dead of Summer, the television series from 2016. It also includes the film Eli... Fear the Walking Dead from TV's 2018 through 2020. And Richard Nang's works include Dead of Summer, Eli, and Fear the Walking Dead from the same years. All right, our cinematographer is Roman Osen. He's known for being the DP on such films as The Warrior, Pride and Prejudice, 
Mr. Majorium's Wonder Emporium, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and the film Mortal. We have editors Peter Gavazdas and Peter Larsgaard. And Peter Larsgaard is known for Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark in the film Mortal. Alrighty, and some of the works that Peter Gavazdas is known for include the films Brightburn, The Curse of La Llorona, the film Polaroid. You might have also seen his work on The Purge film that we've actually covered, so we've covered him before, and the film Dark Skies. Alright, this music was composed by Danny Bensey and Sander Jurens. And Danny's known for composing the music for such films as Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene. You might have also seen his work on actually some really cool television series, which include mm. such things as Ozark from 2017 through 2018. You might have also heard his work on the OA from 2016 through 2019. He's also composed music on eight episodes of American Gods back in 2019. You might have heard his work on NOS4A2, which I still need to check out from oh, yeah. 2019. And more recently, Fear the Walking Dead and the show The Outsider, which was on HBO more recently. And those same credits you can apply to Saunders, so it kind of knocks out two birds with one stone right there. All right, we have special effects done by Automatic VFX. They help with the visual effects on this. This was produced by Fred Berger, Eric Garcia, Ben Pugh, and Rory Aitken. Production companies on this were 42, I Am Global, and Imposter Pictures. The distributor was IFC Midnight for the 2016 United States theatrical release. It had release dates on September 9th, 2016 at the Toronto International Film Festival in Canada and December 21st, 2016 here in the States. It had a gross of about $6.17 million. This is not bad. I know there's two taglines. One that I have is Her Curse Lives Deep Within and the other one is Everybody Has a Secret. Her curse lies deep within is way better than everyone has a secret. Yeah, it's like, ah, I've seen that other one on a lot of tags and posters, but I kind of like the former myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so leading off with our casts, because we have we have kind of a minimalist cast, but we've got a pretty good one on top of it. You've already mentioned one name, but I'm going to lean in. Actually, you mentioned both names, so I'm going to lead off with Emil Hirsch plays the role of Austin Tilden and for those who are familiar with Emil Hirsch I kind of go back and look at some of his films which include such things as The Emperor's Club a film probably which I know him for starting off as The Girl Next Door which I really liked a lot I remember seeing that but when I think of him I probably think Speed Racer. Yeah, I know a lot of people enjoy that one. Uh, some other film credits include such things as Lords of Dogtown, which is one of my brother's favorite. Alpha Dog, which is another really good film. If you haven't seen Into the Wild, I would highly recommend that as well. He's known for other films such as Milk. He worked on Killer Joe, which was a William Friedkin film, which is really interesting. He's also worked on such things as Lone Survivor. You might have seen his work as himself in the documentary I Am Heath Ledger, more recently on such films as The Outsider and Freaks. And it looks like he's got a film in post-production called Force of Nature. All right. We've mentioned Brian Cox, who plays the role of Tommy Tilden, his father in this film. That's Emil Hirsch's. And we've actually talked about Mr. Cox because of our episode number 44 of Trick or Treat. Oh, that's all right. I was trying to think if maybe we brought him up as being a Hannibal when we talked about Hannibal. That's a very good point because he was the very first, uh, the first Hannibal. Hannibal actor. Yeah. Everyone always brings up Sir Michael Anthony Mann. Hopkins. 
As they should. I can understand. But Brian Cox was in Michael Mann's Manhunter. Which is saying a lot, man. It goes back, and that's actually a pretty good film. So if you start looking through some of his filmography, I mean, it's pretty loaded. We've already mentioned that with Manhunter. But then you can go on and look at such things as Rob Roy. He was also in Braveheart. You might have seen him in The Ring. He was also in Super Troopers. Yeah, he was in X2, the film Troy, The Born Supremacy. Yeah, I mean, like I said, some pretty dope-ass films. And, of course, I mean, it goes well beyond that. We'd be sitting here all day talking about them. But, gentlemen, you definitely should check out in a lot of his films. He normally nails his roles. All right, moving ahead, we have Ophelia Loveybond. She plays the role of Emma, which is Emile Hirsch's girlfriend in this film. But some of her credits include such things as Guardians of the Galaxy. You might have also seen her in BBC's W1A and also in CBS's Elementary Oh, she was actually in Thor as well, in The Dark World, as Karina, which is pretty neat. I know, I'm trying to think of who that actually is, but it must be one of the Asgardians. Yeah, she played Karina, I'm not sure. But uh, she, yeah, she was also in Rocket Man and Nowhere Boy, which actually I've seen Nowhere Boy. It's actually a really good film. All right, moving ahead, we have Michael McHalliton. He plays the role of Sheriff Sheldon Burke. Now, I think more recently, people are going to recognize him because of his role as Roos Bolton in the HBO series Game of Thrones. Some of his other credits include such things as I Went Down. He was also in The Actors. You might have seen him in Spin the Bottle. He's also in the films 50 Dead Men Walking. You might have seen him in such things as Death of a Superhero. He was in the film The Hollow, which I've heard is actually really good. More recently, he's in such things as King Arthur, Legend of the Sword. He was in The Foreigner. You might have seen him as a terrorist leader in Zack Schneider's Justice League. And uh, some films entitled Togo and Iraq. And like I said, some spots here and there in television work. All right, moving forward, we have Olwen Catherine Kelly. She plays the role of Jane Doe. Some of her film credits include Darkness on the Edge of Town. She was in the film Winter Ridge and The Obscure Life of the Grand Duke of Corsica. Hmm. All right, we have Jane Perry. She plays the role of Lieutenant Ward. Some people might recognize her because of her roles as Diana Burnwood in the rebooted Hitman series. She's also done quite a bit of voice actress work as far as television shows. You might have heard her voice in such things as Dragon Ball Z, which is pretty interesting back in 1996. She's also done such things for Need for Speed Hot Pursuit. She was a Cars description narrator. You might have heard her voice in 007 Legends, Need for Speed Most Wanted, Hitman Absolution. I was going to say, so the Hitman absolutely it's just about. the one where i've probably heard her because she was the in-game tutorial and mission narrator voice yeah it looks like she's done quite a bit of work on the hitmans if you've played those need for speeds you might have heard her voice on like quantum break and then some of her film credits include such things as in the spider's web how to lose friends and alienate people she was also in world war z you might have also seen her in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and more recently such things as Phantom Thread. All right, moving forward, we have Parker Sawyers. He plays the role of Trooper Cole, which is like right there at the very end of the film. But some people might recognize him because he starred as a young Barack Obama in Southside With You. He was also featured in Don't Hang Up, and you might have actually heard or seen him in the BBC production World on Fire. Some other things include Zero Dark Thirty, the film Snowden, the 2017 The Mummy, the film Greta, and Monsoon. And for video games, you might have heard him in Detroit Become Human as the role of Josh. 
All right, and that pretty much rounds out our cast and our crew. You gave us a brief synopsis. We should give you some warnings heading into this film. So technically gore, but not of the kind we normally see. Like, it's not crazy violence was just inflicted. It's clinical gore. Like, right, because, it's an autopsy. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, because it's more procedural with the autopsy. And because it's an autopsy, there's also just a ton of nudity. Yeah, you can't help but see that. It's not necessarily sexy. Right, I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> not for that intended purpose. But it's there for a lot. I mean, you get glimpses of a couple other things that would count as good gore that is more of like the violent sort. Yeah, I agree with that. There's language. I mean, you're kind of usual. Is Not there much. A, is there only one F-bomb? Oof. Maybe. I don't know. I know that there's one, but I think that might be the only one. Yeah, I, I didn't keep up tabs, but you might be right. I think you get the precision F-strike in this movie. <laughs> nice. Yeah, like I said, it's very tame in terms of that. I mean, some violence here and there. If you're not into kind of supernatural stuff, there's some elements right. there of that. There's some... God, we, we try to keep this spoiler free, but... So minor spoiler, but in the interest of giving you proper warnings, there's like ritualistic type stuff. Exactly. Yeah, and that's... Yeah, because when we go too much further, it'll start yeah, treading into those heavy waters. So I guess if that's your deal, that you don't like that kind of supernatural win. Exactly. Win, like maybe the devil was involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's definitely that. So, but yeah, I mean, outside of that, I would say it's kind of in the center of horror. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. not, it doesn't go too far one way or the other. Yeah, no, it's, we'll get further into how it made us squeal here in just a second. But yeah, yeah, that's a good descriptor. So Danny, how did the autopsy of Jane Doe make you squeal? How does that make you squeal? All right, autopsy of Jane Doe. This was your suggestion. Have you seen this before? I have. Okay. I, I'd seen it twice prior to going into reviewing the film. Okay. So, tell us about that. Okay. <laughs> so this was my first time. Gotcha. Yeah, so the first time that I'd watched this film, I'd seen a couple different posts on Facebook, you know, from different groups that we're a part of, and people kept talking about this film. So it kind of had a, a little bit of buzz going on, mm -hmm. you know? So I was like, ah, oh, you know, I'll give it a try out. It was on Netflix, and... I figure, why the fuck not, you know? I have to admit, the first time through, it was kind of like, meh. And then the second time after that, it was more recently, within the last couple of months, I watched it again, just to see, you know? Mm -hmm. Just to see if maybe it was me. And I have to admit, it was me, <laughs> right? And I was like, wow, actually, I really do enjoy this film a lot more than I did the first time through. So that kind of leads me into this. It's like, I know, you know, we were toying around with some ideas down the road. And I was like, you know, why not? I think it's a fun film. I wanted yeah. to see what you think about it. Yeah, so this is my first time. It wouldn't have been if anybody in the world would have told me that this was an Andre Overdahl movie. That would have gotten my ass on it a lot quicker. But You know, that's kind of the funny thing, too. I wasn't even thinking about that fact, mm -hmm. that it was an Andre Overdahl film. I was just like, oh, I like Emil Hirsch. I like Brian Cox. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge bonus as an Overdahl film, too. So, yeah. And I really knew, like, nothing about it going into it. I was like, cool, Autopsy of Jane Doe. And even going into it, I wasn't sure if that was like a metaphorical title. You know what I mean? Gotcha. I didn't know I was going to be sitting down and watching an actual autopsy. <laughs> which, I, I mean, it was cool. Hearing your experience is really funny because I wasn't blown away by this the first time. 
Honestly, the second time through, I still have problems with it. I do enjoy it more after the second time through, but I'm still not. Yeah, I mean, I know we'll definitely delve into it. And I will say this. I'd mentioned, of course, that I'd seen it twice prior to the review. So I've actually almost tripled that number since then. Okay. (laughs) I've actually seen it five times now. So I watched Mm -hmm. it twice for our review, like we normally do. And then I watched it last night with my sister and and Jeff. Mm. Yeah, so I've seen it five times now. So five times in, (laughs) how has that fluctuated? Like, so the first time you started kind of low. Right, I was kind of like, it went "Eh." up. It definitely went up. Then time three. Then three, I mean, by then I was picking out more things. So I think at a certain point things start to plateau. Yeah. So I think that's probably third time, fourth time. I won't say it like peak peaked, but I think probably the second time is where it got me third and fourth time to say like a notch above that. And then it's plateaued since then. Okay. Between second and third viewing, it peaked for me without spoiling anything quite yet. I will say that after watching it several times, I actually really do enjoy this is I don't want to say it's like one of my favorite films because I'd be lying to people, but I'd say for the kind of film it is. It's definitely one that I would watch over others, probably in the same kind of vein, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I could see that. I agree with that. Even some of the things that kind of threw me off, mm-hmm. I feel like it's maybe just me. It's not like the movie's doing anything wrong. It's just that... No, that's yeah, understandable. Just, just didn't... Just yeah. That part just didn't do it for me. Understandable. Cool. So I guess with that, you want to kind of jump in the film? Well, at first we get the crime scene and we have no idea what's going on. Obviously... We're in the spoiler section now, so we all know what, opens, what yeah. happened. Well, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. we I got know you. what happened theoretically there now, once you're going through the second time, right? You open up. I kind of for uh, I didn't kind of forget that that crime scene happened, but so much more seems to become so much more important as the movie goes on. It's cool, and it sort of sets the stage, and you're like, okay, these murders happened, and then they find this body in the basement. And, and you're like, okay. <laughs> And you're like, okay, that's weird. And if you didn't already say, okay, that's weird, then you understand it's weird in just a couple <laughs> minutes when the cops go and right. fucking tell the dude. We can explain everything but this. So if you didn't get it from just watching that, like, they lay it out for you. Yeah, something's off about this. That was cool. What I thought was cooler, especially with how this movie plays out, is when we first get to the morgue, we get kind of... It reminded me of Event Horizon. In that we're going to be spending all this time here. And so we get these really lovingly executed camera shots that just sort of explore the interior space. Right. And they're kind of establishing what it's going to be like inside there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, This is the space that we're dealing with. And now we're getting to the people. Always better to do that when you have a movie that's using a confined space like this. We've talked about how other movies fuck that up and it fucks with the movie. Uh, we're looking at you inside. <laughs> Remake. <laughs> no kidding, right? Uh, that was <laughs> so painful. But I don't know. Going through that little sequence, though, I just really appreciated that they took the time to do that, especially as the movie played out and I realized, oh, we're going to be sitting here. Yeah, you're going to be spending a lot of time down here. And I was like, okay, cool. Then all of that wasn't wasted. That was all yeah. exactly information we need to know. Plus, it was well done. It was really pretty. So Nice. I don't know. What happens then? Okay, we, so... That's when we basically get the introduction to our main character. Right. So we learn that Brian Cox and Emilia Hirsch's characters are a father and son duo 
who work at a mortuary, that's their home. It also doubles as a crematorium as well. Mm -hmm. And third generation, right, which we see through some of those photos, it goes back to at least 1919, that particular place. That was a little weird, the way that they lingered on that. I thought that was going to play into the story more, but it was kind of just a weird red, not even necessarily a red herring, because at this point, the mystery hasn't truly kicked in yet. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. But when we do get introduced to them, what they're doing is they're going over an autopsy that they're performing on what appears to be like a third degree burn victim. Mm -hmm. And so Brian Cox is telling Emil Hirsch, so what's the COD? the cause of death and he's like well you know looking through all this it looks like he burned to death right with smoke inhalation he's like well how about you look before you leap right he says look further and they look inside which i think it took me maybe the third maybe even the fourth time to figure this out kind of like oh i see what they're doing here is when they do inspect inside the skull, they find the fracture, and it's like, oh, that makes sense because he had a subdural hematoma. It's also kind of a sly way of Emil Hirsch's character saying, like, hey, this guy died alone because no one's claiming him. You know, it's kind of sad. Mm -hmm. And Brian Cox's character is more like, no, he slipped, he hit his head, he bled, and he died. <laughs> you know, it wasn't because he was alone, it's because he slipped and fell and bumped his head. So you can already see that there's this dynamic going on with the, the father-son. But what it's also doing cleverly is it's mirroring something down the road. It's like, oh, this is an er Like, there's a lot of early, early, early foreshadowing in this film, at least what I was picking up on. And this is one of them with that particular victim. Yeah, and so after that, we get the girlfriend that comes down and a really good moment, I think, in the film. That not only does it play dividends later on and is a part of the film, but it's also kind of a comical moment, too. The bell setup. Yeah. Which I really enjoyed. I, I was going to bring... I really like the bell setup. It gives you a reason why this is happening that makes sense within context. Mm -hmm. Gives you a bit of who Brian Cox's character is. A little bit of, like, the breadth of knowledge that these guys have, which sort of comes in to play. It makes it so it's not surprising when they're able to piece together some other facts later on, just about the area and general history knowledge and stuff. But then, of course, the bell is used to ratchet up the tension later. Yeah, it's a device. And once you know what the bell signifies, you don't have to see anything to know what's coming. Exactly. It's frightening with just the sound itself mm -hmm. because of what you know. I do want to back up just one moment right before actually the girl comes down. Is when they're making the discovery or, you know, the COD for that victim I was talking about earlier. There's a line that he says, Brian Cox, that is, about everybody has a secret, which is what we talked about, the mm, tagline. Yeah. He says, some just hide them better than others, right? Still a dumb tagline. It is. It's like, but of course, if, within the, the frames of this film, that line's very important because like, that's a kind of a big theme in this is what I gather out of this a little bit was things don't appear what they look like out on the surface, on the exterior, mm -hmm. because inside that's where all the shit that's really happening, which is a huge metaphor for what's going on in this film and... I think maybe like depression and anxiety and suicide and stuff like that. But that's, we'll get to that, I guess. Alongside the bell moment, though, we also get, I kind of laughed a little bit at the girlfriend, Emma, was mm -hmm. that her name? Because mm -hmm. she's like, what happened to this guy? <laughs> when it's obvious that he's missing his face. Uh, yeah. Like, 
the fucking the cloth covering his face is sunk down into his face cavity. That's like yeah, exactly. That's like all right, let's time out. Let's take do some deductive reasoning here. <laughs> yeah. right? well, what does it look like to you? I promise it wasn't a sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> this is not our new fancy cereal bowl. <laughs> Yeah, we're not into that quite yet. But you're right. I think what is funny is she points out, you know, she's like, she wants to see the first one, and it's the woman with mesothelioma, and she's all stitched up. And mm-hmm. she's like, no, I, want, I meant that one. <laughs> right? And well, yeah, and you're like, oh, that's much worse. <laughs> and Emil's like, nah, there's some things you can't unsee. And he's right. He's absolutely right. But you don't want to do that. Yeah, shit. as soon as she goes to pull into it, man, Brian Cox gets her. Well, and. Gunshot one is the one where Brian Cox points out, like, it's actually Strychnine, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I just wanted to make sure that I had that right, because I didn't remember to write it down in my notes, but I noticed something that I'll bring up later. That's awesome. Yeah, so Strychnine, you find, is the real cause of death, Mm -hmm. not the gunshot wound. And, yeah, (laughs) you know, because uh, she reaches for it, he rings the bell and spooks her or whatnot, and Emil Hirsch gives her a good ribbing, because she spooked him when she came Mm -hmm. down before. Uh, He's supposed to head out. Right. But nope. Sheriff's cop, down there. You know, sheriff showed up with the body. Emil's like, I gotta help Dad. This is kind of a cliche. Right, so. right. It really is. All it's, it's giving you reason to, I guess, feel connected. You know, the son doesn't want to be a part of the morgue anymore, but he hasn't told his dad. It's been two years. There's something implied. It's been two years. Right? That whole bit felt really cliche. It, it really is. It's just typical expo. We get it. This is just set up. It's only intended to be set up. Mm-hmm. But, like, you don't watch things in a vacuum. And something in this movie really fucking jumped out at me, <laughs> considering shit that's going on. And it's kind of fucked up that the cop is telling him the parameters of which yeah. this death needs to be found between. He said he needs it tonight. Yeah. It was kind of fucked up for that to happen. Like, I'm sitting there taking notes earlier this day. <laughs> When just like hours before, there was a difference in the autopsy for George Floyd from the oh, official dang. to the yeah, I see what you're saying to the it's... second opinion. Yeah, and then like I'm sitting there taking notes, wow. and suddenly the cop is sitting there telling them like, "I need to know what happened, but it needs to be within these parameters." Right. Yeah, I think it is interesting that he's setting that up. Like, and I we can explain is... the other three. We can't explain to her. And I know that like this movie isn't trying to go there. No, but, no, like, no. Watching this shit doesn't it's happen just in a vacuum at this moment, and I'm just like, "Oh, that's really fucked." It is, <laughs> and we didn't plan it that way. It's just yeah. coincidental. Couldn't have known, <laughs> right? But there you go. <laughs> Weird parallels. It kind of makes sense in this film when you think about it. Mirrors mm-hmm. and shit. All right. So when Emil Hirsch does come back down, that's when it kind of gets into the procedural thing, right? And you're like, okay, here we go. This is starting to feel like what their job is, what they do, and what they perform. And this is where some interesting things start to happen in this film. Okay, so when they mention the peat, I'm immediately going, they're going to lean towards something ritualistic. Mm -hmm. Because I just start thinking of all the peat mummies. You know what I mean? Piltdown Man and all that shit. As soon as I hear the word peat, that's the first thing I think of. Okay, here we go. Maybe not the average moviegoer. I don't know. Maybe the average moviegoer does think of that when they hear the word Pete. That's where I think of. And so then when it is revealed to be at least slightly ritualistic, although all the details are never fully given. Right, right. Like, that wasn't as big of a surprise to me. So that kind of took it out a little bit for me. Yeah. When it goes into this, 
this is one of the parts that I really like in this movie and one of the parts where it's really weird because the procedural part, as they start to actually do the autopsy and open her up, is a really intriguing mystery. And especially the first time through, I was kind of like on the edge of my seat, like, what the fuck are they going to find? Yeah. And, you know, they keep finding all this shit that's happened to her that they're like, wait, this and now this and there's no external signs and we can get into all that happened to her here in a minute. Right, but, right. And I'm like, shit, how is this going to be explained? And I really like fucking supernatural, witchy slash Satan movies where <laughs> the answer is Satan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the problem is, is when you mix those two, then you get a mystery where the answer is Satan, mm-hmm. which means you couldn't have ever actually solved the mystery. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, which takes away from the mystery aspect of it. Right, it's already there, it's already solved. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm like, I really like how they do it, but at the same time, it kind of ends up defeating itself, because it's not a, a mystery that I could have ever solved, because the answer right. is completely Right, yeah, I mean, after a while, too, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, you, we get it, you know. And I think that's kind of the interesting thing, too, a little bit, because the way they lean into it, too, is you still don't know exactly what's going to happen with her and even though you were putting all these things together, you know, Mm -hmm. even with the clues and whatnot. So here's the thing though. It doesn't do it as bad as other movies that fuck themselves over. No doubt. The answer isn't simply Satan. They still have to keep performing the autopsy throughout the movie to try to figure out as best they can a way to stop this. Yeah. Which I thought was still neat that they still had to piece something together by finishing it. But the answer that, they were really trying for just never could have been found to begin with because it's not something that's possible you know what <laughs> no I mean? not so, in this circumstance yeah. no that's what i'm getting at i guess i don't know yeah, like no, i said I, it's it's it creates very mixed feeling because i think they did a good job of both sides it's there's just, there the is a lot of this is weird there's a lot of ambiguity to her as a whole mm-hmm. right because we don't know definitively one way or the other which i think it is clever it's also kind of like ah it would be nice if we knew it fully you're getting two options and we don't know which one is which because of what we're in now like the present moment mm-hmm. you know so shit so what is it that all happened to her there's the fucked up ankles and wrists right yeah they were completely shattered like she was bound mm-hmm. very tightly there's the slimmed waist mm-hmm. probably from a corset right there's the god something's fucked up with her lungs right once you just start getting to that but just on the Mm -hmm. external examination Mm. is her tongues cut crudely right we do learn that her eyes are cloudy which indicates that she would have had to been dead at least a couple of days but there is no rigor mortis or lividity Mm -hmm. so everything on the outside appears to be normal but once they do or get normal ish. Right, 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 right. I mean just on appearance. Mm-hmm. Because you you don't see anything visibly that looks like trauma or anything of that nature. So we get into that. And then when we get into the internal Oh well, actually the, the, the cut bleeds in a way that indicates she should be fresh. Right. Also when they're examining her mouth, we find one of her molars are missing. Yeah. What I th- what I thought was kinda neat. I was wondering how much of an homage it was to Sam Raimi because of the fly coming out of the nose. Oh, but then I was yeah. also, if we do that, we also have to think about Bava because Bava did that stuff a lot too. So I was wondering if that was a little bit of an homage because it gets zapped as soon as it flies out, but later on it reappears, which is really quick. When you think of that, it doesn't seem like it's an important because it's not really, but I think it is important the way the film plays out when it reappears. 
Yeah. The fly thing is another little moment, though, where I'm just like, generic evil. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it really is. It is. At this point. And it's still cool. I don't want to completely dismiss it. No, no. I understand what you're saying, though. But especially, what number episode is this? Like, yeah, I mean, uh, like almost 200 in. in, and we've done several films of this nature. Yeah, you know? so when you see The Fly, you're like, evil. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I think maybe the first time through when I watched it, I kind of had those initial thoughts. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've seen this, and, you know, it's kind of already tipping its hand, you know? But we keep going, right? So we get, she's missing her molar, and they pull out a piece of fabric. Right. And we also know that she's had vaginal trauma and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. Just for a brief moment, they talk about that. They kind of review it, you know, like we found this, we found that. When they get into her, this is where, like I said, when the ominous stuff starts to happen, especially with the radio, it starts that song, Open Up Your Heart mm-hmm. and Let the Sun Shine In. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Once they hit the Y incision, mm-hmm. because everything mm-hmm. seems mm-hmm. joyful and Let the sun shine it's. <laughs> That song is pretty wild. Um, Open up your heart and let the sun shine in. Yeah, the blood comes out from the Y incision. And then Emil gets a sample and puts it in the fridge. I think he's cutting up some more, the dad that is. And when, when he goes, I guess, to get the sample or put the, another sample in, the blood's pooling already. Mm-hmm. And at first, I'm, I'm thinking, all right. Is she doing that or – but we learn later on that it's like rapid decomposition. It's like that makes sense why that blood happened the way it happened. Right. Just rapidly just, you know. So that's already kind of weird, right, with the blood and stuff going on. And that's when you were talking about they discovered that she had smoke damage to her lungs. And he's like, I didn't take her for a smoker, which is funny because his dad's a smoker. His dad's like, nah. No, they take a, a tissue sample. Uh, that's when I think he finds he's all like, that well, stuff. Well, the, yeah. the dad's like, you know how heavy a smoker she would have had to be? She 30 years, to... 10 packs a day. Yeah. Still. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, it's a lot, right? And we find also that she has scar tissue on her heart and on the inside of her flesh. Okay, so this is the spoiler section. As we're talking about them cutting in her and doing all these things and discovering all these things... This is probably where it's worth it to say that this is a little bit where it gets better upon rewatch, Mm -hmm. because she's alive for all of this. Right. And I think that's why it's important to think, (laughs) too, about... And that's where this almost becomes a horror movie for her at the same time as it's one for them. Yeah. Which, that's what I'm saying. When I think about this film as a whole, you know, not just within the frames of the film, but as a whole, what it's trying to say, and I think some of the comments that are being made... Like, maybe thematically, like some of the themes they're doing or the motifs are really interesting, actually. Because you're right, she's suffering on the inside. Because on the outside, everything seems hunky-dory. Like, she's just a dead body. She's already suffering from having being stuck in a body for 300 years. (laughs) Yeah. Unable to do anything. But she's feeling all of this is what's intimated by their discoveries later. Mm Mm-hmm. She's not dying from it, even though fatal wounds are being mm-hmm. done upon her and stuff. Exactly. She's cursed, forced, blessed, however it yeah, happened to her, because that's never answered, to be immortal, basically, at this point, or as far as anyone knows. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't know exactly. <clears throat> There's a lot of ambiguity there, but I think it's also... Some of that's the ambiguity that I like. Mm-hmm. I do, too. I like it. Mm-hmm. Not going to lie. But thinking about all of that... This is, all of this part where they're exploring the mystery is a horror movie for her. Yeah. There's two horrors going on. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, simultaneously. I think this is kind of neat, too. This is setting up another scene is where they start to hear noises on the outside of the autopsy room. And Emil goes to check it out. And this is where the dad, Brian Cox, cuts his wrist, I mm. think maybe on her mm-hmm. ribcage or something. And, you know, it's playing a lot with that mirror in the corner of the rooms of the hallway. And Jeff kind of pointed this out. And I was like, oh, that's kind of neat. Pretty interesting insight, too, is he was like, oh, that's kind of like her eye. You know, so she's also being able to see things. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. Because she's also creating illusions. And I was thinking what was interesting is when he's walking down the hallway, she's, she, I guess, or whatever, is leading him towards the stairwell. So it's kind of like foreshadowing things, but then he cuts into that room where he finds the cat up in the vents. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's even kind of foreshadowing things. He's falling early in the film. He falls to his death later on. The dad has to put the cat out of its misery. So there's like mercy kills in this film. That's kind of a theme a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's kind of, I mean, it, it is kind of cliche within the horror film, but the way they do this is, I think it's still unique. It's not unique within the genre, but the way they do it in this film is, is really clever. And besides the song on the radio, we're starting to get more and more of Storm Outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You're so not going anywhere. What I like about, yeah, exactly. What I do like about that, it lends its hand into the multiple views, right? First time through, it's like the reporting, it's going to be sunny. It's, you know, X amount of days of sunshine. And then, yeah, all of a sudden it's a flash flood warning. <laughs> You're going to stay inside. Down. Yeah, very ominous, <laughs> very quick. Well, and Emil Hirsch picks up on that shit kind of soon. Oh, no, he um, does. He knows things are fucky. And one of the things that was weirdly, I don't know, especially upon the second time through and just thinking about the different characters we tend to run into in horror movies, mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting that these guys actually came to accept that something supernatural was happening pretty quickly. They just didn't realize the extent to what it was happening to them. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, it wasn't like they were, uh, like, mystified that this is happening, right? Yeah, they're putting these things together and like, oh, like, okay. This is the only explanation, so uh, yeah, uh, apparently uh, <laughs> supernatural is going on. Right, which I like all that stuff. You know, after Brian Cox has his moment with the cat, they go through stage three of the autopsy, which is the stomach and gastrointestinal, and that's where they find the Jimson weed. They learn that it's a paralyzing agent, which I don't think it really is in real life. Within the framework of the film, it is. <laughs> but it says that's where she gets the inflammation of the organs. That's what they think. Well, she, it also would have been very is. uncommon for her to be wearing a corset from the actual time period. Right. Yeah, because he's from, like, so. you know, didn't this go out of date a couple hundred years ago? <laughs> well, yeah, but it was something else that they wore during oh, the no, time I know period you're that she's actually from. I know what you're it saying. It wasn't a corset, so. Right, right, right. I know what you're saying with that. But they're piecing together, like, Jimson weeds from the Northeast, Pete's from the Northeast. We're putting these things together. The radio says, this one might be a bigger deal than we were led to believe. That's when Austin, Emil, is like, he suggests, hey, let's just finish this in the morning. And then, you know, he's like, no, we finish what we start. They find the missing molar because in more of her intestines is that wrap shroud with her molar and... The Roman numerals and, mm-hmm. you know, whatnot, which we learn all about that stuff later on. But that's when they get more reports of the flash flood and oh, you aren't going anywhere. <laughs> I just like. But that song comes back on again and it plays a little bit more of the song. And you hear them talking about the devil. devil. Mm-hmm. And then it cuts out. It's like, all right. 
Anyhow, that's when they lose the power. The lights blow out, all that shit, and it starts to get really more fucky. <laughs> Which, all that really matters is they lose power, the generator goes out, they're starting to hear shit, they take refuge in that office room because they think they see... It could be her, it could be one of those bodies that came out of the drawers or whatever. Oh, right, right, yeah, yeah. You know, like, what the fuck is going on? What is that? And they go inside, they take cover, and the door shakes, all that nonsense. And the dad goes in the bathroom because he's got the cut, and he's washing himself. And it's a bit of an homage to The Shining. I mean, that's... Mm, mm -hmm. Behind the shower curtains and all that shit, she fucks him up pretty good. <laughs> and then I think what's really creepy is the way that the door opens and it knocks a drawer over. I'm like, you're fucked, man. Yeah, you're <laughs> fucked. You're fucked. <laughs> yeah, if she can do that or whatever's doing that, you're fucked. It's, um, it's game over, man. That part was all pretty neat. With only the two of them stuck in there, I have to, once again, and I think this is only because we've seen so many of these movies, yeah. this early in the movie... With basically only the two of them, I was still kind of like, he's safe. I was hoping, yeah. Unless this is going to be one of those movies like, I don't know, like Macabre, where suddenly like <laughs> 15 more people appear out of nowhere in the last 20 minutes of the yeah, movie. Or inside. On? or Yeah, you know. it's just, you're right, there was more people added, but not in this case. Yeah, I'm like, if they're going to keep with two, then he's safe. Yeah, like at least one of them, right? Yeah, he'll yeah, be yeah. in danger maybe later on. But well, now they're now good. Safe. Right, right. It's too no. early on. Once again, how many episodes are we in? Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. I mean, we get these. This isn't like a super complex film. It's really not. But I still think it's well put together. What yeah. I'm getting at. Yeah. No, 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 no. And I agree. That's just me being, was being kind of shitty oh, about it when I was watching it. And then it didn't bug me as much the second time through. I have to admit, though, a lot of this early part of the movie was a lot easier to zone out the second time yeah. through. Yeah, because, because you know what's going on. Because a lot of this first part of the movie deals less with the supernatural aspect, even though this particular part deals heavily with it. Yeah. And more with the mystery aspect. And once you know what the mystery is... You can, can kind of you know, you can look out. for yeah. details, but right, right, right. It, it's only it's so a little formulaic. You actually have to pay attention yeah. once you know what the mystery is. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, we're, we're still within that illusion, right? Once they do get out and they make it back to the the morgue room, they get trapped inside because they're like, <laughs> like they try to burn her, man. So this was neat the second time through because I missed the importance of part of the on fire ceiling dropping onto the camcorder. Mm -hmm. The first time through, I guess I just, I thought it got knocked over, but I didn't realize that it truly got set on fire for a second there and shit. And even at the end of the movie, like when they're showing it all as a crime scene, they show the camcorder lying there, but it doesn't really look like melted. It just looks fucked up. Right. To the point where, like my first time through, I was almost about to yell at the screen, like, just watch the camcorder. It's right fucking there. Going back through the second time and being like, oh, fuck. Like, no, it got fucked up and, like, it was on fire for, like, a good minute. Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's whatever was on that film was <laughs> destroyed. And I just completely missed that the first time through. That's so easy that to miss. The second time yeah. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Yep. And that's where I'm also like, oh, she's setting them up. Oh, yeah. In a big bad way because she's the one that quells the fire. It's not that fucking fire extinguisher. I didn't do shit. <laughs> But that's when, you know, at a certain point, if you haven't realized it yet, she's a witch. Or something. Something of that nature. Devilish, whatever you want to wrap it up as, I suppose. Or, but yeah, um, she she's something supernatural. Mm -hmm. At this point, you have to be like, okay, 
<laughs> enough is enough. But they hear the elevator. It sounds like it's kicking back on. They run over to it. And it closes. They have that encounter with that blown off face corpse walking. They finally get inside. And then that's when Brian Cox takes the axe. Because what that leads to, the first time through I watched this, this was the moment that pissed me off was when the girlfriend gets whacked, right? Because I was thinking, I was like, man, that's cold-blooded. <laughs> you know, because initially you're like, how the hell did she get down there in the first place? That's kind of right. the initial impression, right? And then B, you would think that she would call out to them or at least, you know, see that they were in distress or that this place is distraught. Yeah. Her getting killed is probably the thing that I have the biggest problem with for the reasons you just pointed out. Mm -hmm. How did she get down there? Wouldn't she have noticed that they were somehow distressed because they were not acting normal? Right. I mean, if you're seeing the elevators barely open and the lights are flickering or whatever, what's going on, it would send off the alarms at least. She's not that dull. <laughs> we already know that much. And it felt like a weird missed opportunity because we've already had the fact that, like, Emile Hirsch doesn't want to do this anymore. And they definitely have a good relationship, but it's a contentious relationship as good as it is right. because they're just different enough as people. And that's been set up with, you know, the way that they react to different things like we've already brought up a couple times. Yeah, for sure. So if she's fucking with them, then why not make it so that in the two seconds before fucking Brian Cox swings the hammer, or not hammer, the well, axe, yeah, I you're saying, no. that Emil sees it as Emma and he doesn't. Yeah. To just drive that between them even more. But the way it's presented, it's like he can't blame him at all. No. Because they both thought it was shotgun face. Exactly. They both 100% thought it was shotgun face. Right. It wasn't like, what the fuck, dad? Right. I mean, it is, but it's not. It's like, yeah, it sucks. It's fucking horrible. I mean, he expresses it. It's mm -hmm. like, what have I fucking done? The first time through, like I said, that's, that's why I'm putting the emphasis on the first time I ever watched it, I should say. It's why it made me frustrated after the film. Because I was like, man, that's cold-blooded. They just... <laughs> They put a fucking coat over her and then go back in, take refuge again, and they get the expo about the mother, right? Because he's well, explained that shit to him. Before we're off shotgun face, the mm -hmm. thing I was going to bring up from way earlier that was neat. When we first were introduced to shotgun face, looks like one thing, turns out it was another. Exactly. So when they kill it, looks like one thing, it turns, turns out, to be out another. it was another. Right, and also, too, I took it as... That's great because that's one of the motifs is like there's things going on outside of the exterior. It's more about the inside, the stuff that's going on on the inside. It's kind of that metaphor. But also I looked at it as like uh, during that scene too with the shotgun face, right? Because of the bell and stuff like that. They set up each other for the scare in that. He scared her. Now she's going to scare them. You would presume <laughs> it backfired. Mm -hmm. No pun. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, that's fucked up. But it's also clever and, and like the way it plays out is what I'm getting at too. But when they're in the elevator, that's to say, well, that's when Brian Cox is talking about Emil Hirsch's mother his, and his wife and how she was depressed because everybody is like, she looks so happy. Even he was, you know, thinking everything was fine mm -hmm. because on the outside she appeared to be happy, but she was dealing with depression and, you know, whatever, whatever else. And it's led to believe that she, that's probably she committed suicide. Yeah, that's kind of what that all led me to believe, too. Right. And that's kind of his way of saying, like, you know, I was like, man, that's a little bit of, like, sins of the father. Like, the kid's mm -hmm. having to pay for the sins of his father with mm -hmm. relationships, <laughs> you know, whatever. Having to stay there at the morgue and shit. But 
they come to a point where they're like, if we stay inside here, we're going to die. We need to finish and see what the hell is going on with her, try to make things right. And so they make it back. But while they do make it back, there's all that smoke and the dad gets fucked up for a bit. <laughs> they make it back in. And I think this is where it sets it up for Emil Hirsch, I believe, because he cuts into her, you know, cracks open her skull. They take a piece of the brain out. When they look underneath the microscope, that's when we know the reason why they couldn't find a cause of death because she's alive right so that's one of the neat things though about the fact that they were able to keep the mystery ongoing and where movies better to think about than it is to watch at times if that makes sense no i know what you're saying because it sets up this sort of weirdly horrifying situation that they didn't know that they were in it's like an unintended trap where yeah it gets worse for them the more they figure out the mystery and they don't even know that they're doing it. No, until it's already too late. Because them figuring out the mystery yeah. means they're having to inflict more pain on her. It is kind of, um, I mean, it's a huge catch, you know? It's like fucking the puzzle cube. <laughs> yeah. You solve the puzzle cube, leads to bad shit. <laughs> so was it really worth it <laughs> in the end? All right, so this is also, too, where he happens to discover the cloth, that shroud they had from earlier... Because he folded it. it and he's like, fold, yeah. fold. Leviticus twenty twenty seven. That's where you see, you know, the scripture about the witch or whatever. Well, that's lucky. Yeah. What are the odds? Yeah, exactly. All right. So from all of that, and this is where I think this is an interesting thing to take note of is, yeah, she's taking her revenge of all the pain that's been inflicted upon her. But he says that this is her ritual, you know. She's had these rituals performed on her. But what she's doing is a part of her ritual because of the pain and all that mm -hmm. stuff. I was like, I wonder if it has more meaning to that. And I'll explain a little bit later here. But this is where Brian Cox makes a deal with her. He's putting it together. He's like, I'm not going to fight you. Just protect him. Don't hurt him. Yeah. I'll take it on to myself. Don't hurt him. All right. So this is interesting, too, because everything that is inflicted upon him starts to heal her up to a point. <laughs> because... It appears he can't take any more pain, and you see the knife, and Emil Hirsch is, you know, it's, it's emotional. He's saying, please. Now, the question I have for you Well, is, I wonder if it's the same question that I was going to ask you. Okay, well, I, you, <laughs> if you want to ask me, maybe it's the same thing. We'll, we'll see. Does she still kill Emil Hirsch because he didn't honor the deal but because of the mercy kill? Okay, I'm going to say... Yes and no for two different reasons. Not for one reason, but for two different reasons. Yes, because what I was saying with ritual, she's going through a ritual with him. And he inadvertently stopped Emil Hirsch by stabbing the dad. So, yes, that's what I was saying with mercy kills. The dad mercy killed the cat. Mm -hmm. Emil Hirsch is mercy killing his dad yeah. and in the suffering. But it's also stopping her from having everything that was done to her, including her heart and her tongue and all that shit, from being carried out on him. Right. To complete that pact that they made. <laughs> right? yeah, he, he didn't honor his side of the pact. Right. But also, because it does lead to his death, but also I was saying earlier too, at first, Emil is just kind of a bystander of her, her pain. Like he hasn't, he's not physically doing the cuts or anything. He's just a part of the examination <laughs> during the autopsy. It's not until he cracks into her skull and peels it back and brings out the brain where I'm like, now he's attached to her, causing pain mm. and cut. I mean... <laughs> She's gonna. We already know that she can feel these things. I would imagine she could feel that 
right. buzzing into her fucking skull and shit. <laughs> so I was like, all right, now he's completely implicated. Well, I mean, as long as she's not bound to that pact, though, I think he's fucked right. anyway. No, no, I mean, he, yeah, he's fucked no matter what's going to happen. Because I have a feeling like <laughs> the family that she was originally found with didn't cause any excess pain. No, I don't think so either. Her and, it's just a part which of is the thing, her ritual, like, I'm thinking. That's the other thing, though, like, I mean, the pact was broken, but would she have maybe killed him anyway? Because it does appear, like, if you actually think of the way that things play out, mm-hmm. that she's just actually malevolent. <laughs> All right, I'm glad you say this. I think the movie plays it out like you're supposed to be able to go back and forth. Like, is she an innocent that had these things done to her? Like, or was, was she, a, she actually yeah. a witch? But if you think of her actions that she takes in this movie, she is playing this completely malevolently the entire <laughs> way through. I don't think that yeah. matters anymore. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> I mean, she does warn through the radio, but I mean, that's not overt. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not 100% spelled out. And we know that she can observe them and she yeah. seems to have some manner of intelligence. So she should know that they're just trying to figure out how to help her. Right, right. I mean, their actions are not evil or malevolent, right, mm-hmm. in nature. They're just like you're saying, they're just trying to figure out what happened to her. That's all they're there for. <laughs> it um, just inadvertently is causing pain to her because she is alive. What do you imagine one day of extra pain is to being stuck in a dead body for 300 years? Like, I'm sure it sucks in the moment, and I'm not trying to downplay any pain that she might be feeling. But I'm saying that in this case, it was a case of disproportionate retribution from the start. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the opening of the film should let you know that alone. Yeah. You know, I was like, God, it was gruesome deaths, if you think about it, you know. So it might be left open, like, did she just have this done to her? I don't think it matters at this point. No, no, no. Because at this point, I think she's fully malevolent. Right. I mean, I think that's probably more of the point, even Mm -hmm. though they give you this created dilemma, I suppose. Like you were saying, was she an innocent that was a byproduct of a ritual trying to get rid of the thing that she became, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) They thought she was a witch. But she was an innocent. But they turned her to a witch. I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't really lean that way. I think she was probably a witch, right? People just kept burying her, and the closer to the surface, chaps. Yeah, I mean, we don't know the extent of her supernatural abilities either. We just saw maybe a, a glimpse of it. All right. You know, I think maybe if we saw her healed a lot more, what she could have done, perhaps. I don't know. All right, before I get too far off into this, maybe wrap it up, the film, and then I want to talk about like more of the okay. the, the larger yeah, themes. Yeah. All right, we were talking about Emil Hirsch, right? After mm-hmm. he stabs his dad. It sounds like the sheriff is calling out to him. <laughs> it is really fucked up, but it's good. And he goes to that storm trap. Mm-hmm. And we have learned earlier that the tree fell on it, but it didn't really. But in this context, it did. And he's like, open it. And he keeps telling him to open it, and then... He starts singing those lyrics. <laughs> like, ah, oh, that's so fucked up. He hears the ring, turns around, and it's his dad, and he falls over, breaks his neck, maybe cracks his skull. Mm-hmm. You know, either way, he's dead. I've read, too, like, after all this happens, because the next thing we get is the sheriff returns with the forensics. It doesn't appear that there was as much damage as we saw play throughout. You can argue, and I've seen the argument, did Emma really die? Was she just maybe a part of the whole illusion? 
oh. that the witch was creating, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, I- I'll rewatch that scene so many times just to try to pick it out. And I think she probably did, and I'm going to explain why here in a minute. I think she probably did because I do see a glimpse of one of the, it could be one of the policemen or whoever's, you can see them toting out a gurney. Oh, okay. Right? And you know it's not Emil Hirsch because the sheriff just saw him because mm-hmm. he's going down the hallway where the elevator's at. You see two forensic guys working on something, but you don't see, like, pools of blood and shit. And then they go into the uh, autopsy room, and that's where they find Brian Cox. But you don't see the glass shattered around them. There's mm-hmm. not, like, a lot of chaos. There's not a, I don't even think there's a lot of blood on them except for where he got stabbed. Right. Right? So you can look at it like... She caused this illusion all around them this entire time where they were driven by hysteria. She was making them go, like, mad, mm-hmm. you know? And you could argue that maybe she made them kill each other. <laughs> right. They just didn't realize that's what they that's were doing they because were doing. they were trapped in it. They bought into that illusion she created. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I can see the argument for that. And that's clever because it is set up where you could argue either way. Yeah. Because either way... Even if it plays out the way that we saw it, mm-hmm. everything's touched all the right things. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, absolutely. All the evidence is in the right place to make it look like that's the way it played out. So. Yeah. Yeah. So because what we get is it looks like she's completely untouched, right? Mm-hmm. Everything's back to normal. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, we need to get her out of my county take her down to VCU yeah. <laughs> and then deal with it. Voice. Right, yeah. And, you know, and then you see she is in the back of one of the vans. The corners are taking out two other bodies. And I'm like, all right, that's probably Emil Hirsch and Brian Cox's characters. And, of course, we end with the song playing in the, the van and her foot tingling with the bell. I was like, okay, that's cool. It's kind of opening up you know, the question of where there come a point along this cycle if she keeps healing herself maybe with more victims or what have you mm-hmm. will she be able to gain control of her body at some point and i was like i like that concept it's open to that idea mm-hmm. to a sequel which i don't think they'll do but it'd be cool you can also look at it too it's like i'm kind of more curious about how the fuck she got there in the first place yeah in all the stuff that transpired before and maybe even all the way back to the beginning mm-hmm. so i i do like that open-endedness of this film it feels just as open as like the conjuring yeah it's like we know went a bunch of places it did it did and that's completely fine all right so now that we're right there because there's nothing that goes through the end credits i've already done (laughs) checked on stuff all right so like so the first time i watched this for some of those reasons i i pointed out before i was like i just this kind of feels first it didn't feel like it did anything that blew my skirt up or anything Mm -hmm. it's like yeah i can see the appeal of it you know what people got out of it and Okay, that's kind of what I like what we do is because we don't watch a film just one time and base our opinions off of that. I think that second time, and then in my case, the third and fourth, and then watching it again last night, the fifth time, I was like, hold on, (laughs) much like what's going on with the film, there's a whole lot more going on, I think, ideology-wise, more so than just what the film's doing. And that's why I was saying, all right, the second time through, I put together that, this film is playing with the number three. And what I mean by that is it opens up with three murders, and it happens to be two guys and a woman. Oh, The shit. three bodies at the morgue are two guys and a woman. Mm-hmm. Emil Hirsch, his dad, and his girlfriend, two guys and a girl. So that's three. The Where's things, the pizza place? Right, I know, right? But I was like, if you believe in, in that death comes in threes, yeah. 
bad things yeah. happen in threes. Right, right. It's yeah. like it's playing on that motif of threes, mm. right? And so mm. it's also kind of a superstitious number and all that stuff. I was like, okay, that makes more sense why Emma got killed. Because it's already been framed earlier that a woman gets killed in the in the context of these murders. Right. And I was I like, okay, like yeah, it makes more sense why she died in the first place and then why they died. It completes that ritual, that cycle of threes, mm-hmm. you know. And that's why I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting that he mentions that this is her ritual, which led me to believe that she's malevolent. She's not. She's not there to do good. She's not there to, like try to make things right. I mean, she is by her standards. Yeah. And if she has to fuck people up to do it, she's going to do it. Mm -hmm. She doesn't care. You're in her path. Here's the thing. Yeah. Even if she started out as a witch, I don't think she's in this state by choice. Something still happened to her. All right. That was this. I think the third time I watched it. She truly seems to be in too much pain. Yeah. For this to be all be by choice. She's not getting enough out of it. No, 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 no. That's why this is what raises the second point I'm going to make with this film, is in the opening title sequence, right? It opens up with just something that you, which I think, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much in this. You can tell me what you think. It just focuses on a piece of ground, right? Mm-hmm. It's very gray, and then there's leaves, and it kind of blows a leaves, and you see the autopsy of Jane Doe. And I was like, huh. I was like, I'm, I wonder if this signifies, like, dead of winter or, like, a late fall or the land's barren. Because the very, very next shot going into the murders at the, at the house is the camera rotates. It does the flip oh, and then okay. it refocuses. And I'm like, are they implying that she was buried in this state for a while and they're uncovering her? That's why they endured her wrath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we don't know for sure. That's kind of my idea behind it is right. maybe they uncovered her unknowingly because, you know, the base, there's stuff going on in the basement as is. I feel like they uncovered her completely unknowingly. That's what I'm getting at. And they yeah. just so happened to endure her wrath. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't know. They just <laughs> unfortunate victims, right? So that was what I was thinking. I was like, well, if we know she's from the Northeast because of all the shit that's happening, what is she doing in Virginia? Right. That was my second thought. I was like, because that leads into a whole nother, like, something been happening for a while with this gal. That's what I was saying. The way it opens, the rotation, the refocus... We already know that the motif in this, or one of them, is things are buried within. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to get to her, she was buried. <laughs> That's how it started. So it's like, all right, this film is a lot more clever than I gave it credit for, maybe the first time and second time through. But it's not so clever that it's like, oh, this movie's mind fucking blowing. But no. what it does is it's clever, man. It, it, it makes you makes question it these things. The first time. Absolutely, man. And I've been a victim of that with a couple of films. You know, the first impression was kind of like, eh, you know. And then the second and third time, like, okay, you got me a little bit. And mm-hmm. yeah, so that's why I enjoy this film. If you are a fan of these styles of film, like, so you're going to get a lot more out of it multiple times through. And it begs all these different questions because I did have a few I did want to ask you, perhaps. <laughs> That's what I was going to ask. With, I came three times. I, I, yeah, I was going to say, I probably already Thrice. answered it. But that was, with, yeah, with that Emma death, it's like, that was the thing that I was kind of hung up on a little bit until I was thinking about that ritualistic thing with the threes and the murders, and it just happens to be that. I figure she died. I didn't think it was part of yeah. the illusion. Yeah, it's like, I okay. just, the, I had other problems with it. And then, but even then, like, there's things I like about it, so. Oh, I, I did want to ask. 
in the context of this film, if we know that physically what they're doing to her, that mm-hmm. she can't die, would you think destroying her brain Might would kill it. her? Or like if you actually could light her on fire, yeah, like found some way to do it, maybe. That's what I was thinking. It's like, well, I, I was jokingly thinking to myself, it's like, wouldn't you just put that shit in a blender and just blend it all out? <laughs> but, I, I, you know, it doesn't play out that way. Yeah, I mean, outside of that, the only other thing I thought was kind of funny, we joked about this last night watching the film, is Brian Cox, he's starting to make this revelation. Like, this <laughs> this is, what I said here, this is her ritual. This is, you know, <laughs> I was like... This is her fight song. <laughs> right? just, I was just thinking about those lyrics when he started saying that. It's like, yeah, you could say that a little bit. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. But no, like I said, it, it's a fun film. It's nothing no, mind-blowing. Like yeah. But I think that it's super clever because it, it, it takes place in one setting, downstairs for the most part. But it does the most out of you know building atmosphere and tension. And I enjoy that. You know, I think we already mentioned before with supernatural films and stuff like that. You know, I'm kind of like, eh. I think that probably that's why first time too a little bit too. I was like, eh. Dep- yeah, depending how it goes. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's just like, well, you can do anything. So where's the tension in that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I do like some of the homages it was playing in this film. And doing a little bit of research with these guys is Overdahl said a lot of his inspiration came from the movie Seven. Mm. And I was mm. like, oh, that's kind of interesting. I guess. Interesting. Procedurally with. Brad Pitt's character and uh, Morgan Freeman in Seven mm-hmm. compared to, I guess, Emil Hirsch and Brian Cox's character somewhat. I guess that dynamic. Okay. I think that's maybe where he's drawn some of the influence. But I was like, okay, that's kind of neat. Emil Hirsch said he had never seen a dead body prior to this filming. And he got in contact with, like, one of the corners at L.A. County's morgue or whatever. And he said that you could see up to, like, Four to five hundred bodies at a time there. Dang. And like, you know, rows of people performing autopsies, like no big deal. He said, it, you know, it's not something you get over, but it's overwhelming is what it is. Yeah. But he said it helped him with what's going on with, you know, the procedurals and things like that. And But on the opposite end is Brian Cox is very squeamish when it comes to blood and gore. Okay. <laughs> And Emil said that it freaked him out one time when he did Brian Cox. He's like, hey, Brian, check out this autopsy video I got on. He like did something on YouTube or whatever. And he's like, oh, my God, the blood. And he said the next day while they were, you know, in between filming, he's like, I had nightmares about that video you showed me. <laughs> so, I, you know, it's you don't think about that when they're filming. But, yeah, he was super squeamish around this stuff. And the actress who played Jane Doe. I would. I was going to say that yeah. I want to point out, like, big shout out to Olin Kelly. Yeah, I think she's mostly a model. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah, I think she's like a few things acting, but yeah, mostly modeling. But that's her line there, right? And just a few prosthetics for like close-ups and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, that's her on that slab. And the guys were talking about how she distanced herself from them on set, and you know, she just wanted to focus on her, you know, playing dead. In a way where when it's being played out, you don't think of her as a character in this film, per se, like an actress performing as a dead body. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of weird even saying it. But she practiced yoga and she also practiced, I think, meditation. So she learned how to like do controlled breathing, these really short breaths. And so you never see her breathing. Right, because that's one of those things, I think, as a horror fan or just a fan of film, when you see a dead body... <laughs> I, 
I like doing that. It's like, I wonder yeah. if that fucker's going to breathe. Wait, you can see I'll it. Especially, especially when they hold. TV. Yeah, especially when they hold on the scene, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The longer they hold on a body, the more I'm like, yeah. where's yeah. that breath? Where's that breath, bitch? <laughs> When's it coming? <laughs> I mean, that's no pun. That's the dead giveaway. Mm-hmm. But she nailed her performance, man. You know, like I said, just for a minimalist cast, it was really well done. I read that Martin Sheen apparently was on board well, to sure. play Brian Cox's character at first, but I guess scheduling conflicts happened. That's fine. That's I like fine. Brian Cox in this. Yeah, it's like he did a really good job, man. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a fun film. It was Overdahl's first English language film okay. that he shot. I can see why he got chosen for scary stories to tell in the dark with some of the things they used in this film. Mm-hmm. It's like that makes sense. I still haven't watched that. Still haven't seen it. I heard it was. Or if you're a kid, right. I heard if you're a kid, you'd enjoy it. But as an adult, it's kind of like, eh. Okay. Um. I'm sure I'll see it at some point, especially just yeah. because it's Andre Overdahl. Exactly. It's like, I'm not in a huge rush. I'll get to it at some point as well. Um, I would prefer to reread the stories first, though, because it's been, you know, decades. So, <laughs> Yeah, it has been since, for me, for the most part, like early 90s. Right. I think I'm done with the autopsy. Yeah. Like I said, sewed her up. We're good <laughs> to go. Yeah. If somebody were to... Uh, this is a good foundation, like this film's a good foundation for sequels or yeah. prequels. You can go either direction. And I'm just going to say that if you've listened to all this to try to decide if you're going to watch it, yeah, I'd say my recommendation is that if you're going to watch it, watch it twice. Absolutely. I would agree with that. If uh, you still don't like <laughs> it, then, I mean, that's fine. I kind of yeah, get okay. it. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah, exactly. I overall way like it more than I don't like it. There's something about yeah, it's not it a just perfect still film. isn't super great, but... yeah. Doesn't mean I dislike it, no matter how it sounds in my voice right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. I'll put it this way. I, I liked it enough to get a copy of it. and, and um, mm-hmm. Like I said, it's not one I keep having the rotation by any stretch, but it's, it, it'd be a good one maybe for like a group film. Yeah, it's fun. And honestly, like even though it's procedural-type gore, like the goreness is really good. It like, really the is. The effects is, are really well done. So Yeah, I mean, even the moments they have to use, visual effects, they're not bad. No. You know, it just enhances. It doesn't, like, distract from the film. Mm-hmm. We don't have next week pick, do we? No, we don't. We're open. I know we mentioned some things, but we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. In order to listen to us next week, please hit subscribe if you're listening to us right now. That would be super-duper awesome. If you can rate and review us if you're listening to us right now, that's also super-duper awesome because algorithms and all that good stuff. In order to keep up with us, www.friedsquirms.com is always a good choice. You can check out our entire back catalog there. Keep up to date with all the latest happenings. And up at the top, you can contact us through there or by emailing us, squirmcast.gmail.com. And up at the top, if you follow the links, we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network. You can go check out the other shows on the network. Listen to me go talk about nerdy shit over on General Nerdery. Listen to my co-host there. Talk about war and wargaming over on The Art of Wargaming and other things to come. Check us out on social media. Search for Fried Squirms or what pops up. That's it, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, if you'd like to help us with some movie recommendations or if you have some suggestions and... Once again, if your filmmaker needs some eyeballs on films, let us know. We're up for it. Hell yeah. We're going to go figure out what we're going to bring to you next week. It's going to be something horror. Yes, horror related. (laughs) Uh, This week, I'm Tyler. I'm Danny. Fried Squirms, out. Out.